may be seated. I'm just excited to finally bring to you one of my best friends in the whole world. His name is Greg Winschlag. I want you to pray for his church. He still pastors the church in the Bay Area. They're meeting right now today. Father, move mightily at Abundant Life Church in Cupertino, California, as they are sharing their pastor with us today. I, I kind of, I wrote my blog, please read that. I, there's so much I could say about him, but I just want you to meet him, him and his great wife, Sandra, and I want him to come and minister God's word to us today. Will you welcome Pastor Greg Winschlag? Okay, how about that? Okay. <laughs> you guys are great. You turn on the microphone, you clap. You, you could do just about anything up here, and I think it'd be a good day. I really enjoy these posters. It brings me back. We had some posters like that up in our church. And today, one of our strongest families uh, in our church came before they were saved. And when they walked in and they saw the different faces... They said, that's the church for us. And it feels good to have that on the, on the wall. Uh, I'd like you to meet my wife, Sandra. She's right down here. If you want to just give her a little wave and say, there she is. <laughs> Missions is one of my favorite subjects to speak upon. And we have to understand initially that, that when we put an S on the end of missions, it's really not quite appropriate. God doesn't have many missions. God has one mission, to seek and to save the lost. Wherever they are, no matter what color they are, no matter what language they speak, no matter where they live, no matter what socioeconomic status they enjoy, God has one mission, save lost people. Now he has many, many methods. So we want to call God's, God's methodologies, we can put an S there, but God has one mission, and that's what we're here to talk about. When we talk about the mission of God, it's truly an extraordinary thing. Extraordinary. What does that word mean? It means beyond ordinary, unusual, amazing, or even bizarre. Maybe you can think of some extraordinary people in your mind. Here, there's some extraordinary people. I, I thought our worship time was extraordinary. How about you? That was moving. Anytime someone has the gifting to bring you into the presence of God through music, it's a powerful and an extraordinary thing. When I think about extraordinary, I think about people, maybe a, an extraordinary composer. You might think of Beethoven or Mozart. Maybe an extraordinary intelligence. You might think about Albert Einstein. I'm from the Bay Area, and I'm a sports guy, so when I think of extraordinary, I think of Stephen Curry. I'm also a sports guy. When I think of extraordinary sadness, you guys now have Derek Carr and our Raiders in your town. You're not supposed to clap about that. It hurts me. It hurts my heart. When I think about extraordinary musical talent, Sandra and I, last December for her birthday, came to Las Vegas and saw Carrie Underwood and heard her sing. Wow. What an extraordinary voice. When I think about extraordinary friendships, 
I think about this photo. How do you like that one? <laughs> Extraordinary manliness. Extraordinary handsomeness, at least on one side. I keep my hat on because I'm bald too. I appreciate Pastor Randy writing what he wrote in the blog, but I want to talk to you about an extraordinary pastor that you have. We became friends about 20 years ago. Go ahead. We would not be friends today except for his extraordinary grace and kindness. He was directing a, a, a committee with the district and we didn't know each other at all, but he invited me to be a part of that, that team. And I hadn't been invited to be a part of any team at that point. You, you don't maybe get to see your pastor in action around the district and there's 400, 455 churches in Northern California, Nevada. And your pastor is well known and well respected amongst those 455 churches. And we served together, and after we served together, I keep this note. And excuse me, I'm kind of a weeper. If you're okay with that, then I'm just going to let it out. But uh, he gave me this note, and I keep it with me, not wherever I go, but in my, in my drawer at home. And he wrote this, Greg, thank you for doing such a great job on the Spiritual Life Report. It was amazing. Someday, you are going to be one of my best friends I have ever had. I love you, bro, Randy. Who, who writes that stuff to other guys? <laughs> who does that? But that meant so much to me. And that was 20 years ago, and now we are some of the best friends we've ever had. That's the kind of pastor you have. That's extraordinary. Now, you know, a pastor isn't extraordinary unless he has an uh, extraordinary wife. So we vacationed together, and how about this extraordinary cuteness right here? Aww. You gotta love that, don't you? We got to travel together in New England and took that shot right on the coast in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Extraordinary. There's a chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, that talks, that, that's the extraordinary chapter. Some of you may think of it as the faith chapter. But it's the extraordinary chapter because it talks about people doing extraordinary things, following God's plan, following what God had instructed them to do. And, and the thing is that there's some, that it's, it's the hall of faith, hall of fame, hall of faith. People like Abel and Enoch who walked with God and he didn't die because God just took him, called him his friend. Talks about Abraham and how Abraham didn't know where God was taking him. He just said, go, Abraham. And Abraham went. That's extraordinary faith. And it talks about Moses and Moses' faith. And, 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 and all these people that are so famous, extraordinary Christians, extraordinary followers of God. And here's what it says in verse 32 to 35. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. And all these people, they subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. 
out of the weakness, out of their weakness, and were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of, of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life. My goodness, that's extraordinary stuff. That's powerful stuff. But I got to tell you, when I read that, I think, do I fit? Do I fit amongst that list of people? I mean, you, I mean, there are extraordinary people, and then there's kind of the rest of us. Does anybody ever feel that way? Am I the only one? That there, there are those, those certain people that, oh, they're the extraordinary ones. They're the ones that are like wow people. And in Christianity, we might think of the wow people, like William Carey, the father of Protestant mission. Or David Livingston, the great African missionary and explorer who was martyred for his faith. Or Hudson Taylor, who spent 51 years in China. His ministry brought over 800 missionaries to that country. He began 125 schools and was directly, the, uh, his ministry was directly resulting in 18,000 Chinese conversions. Or how about D.L. Moody, who made it a goal to witness to one person every day of his life? Or maybe Bill Bright, who's been credited with over one million one to Christ? Or how can we ignore Billy Graham, maybe the greatest evangelist ever? I mean, extraordinary people. But those are the ones that do the stuff, right? I mean, they do the stuff, those people. The rest of us, we kind of say, go get them. You do it. I'll write you a check. I'll support you, I'll pray. Those are extraordinary people. But, but, but do we fit in that list? Sometimes I don't feel like I fit in that list. I mean, I, I pastor a small church, smaller than your church, in Cupertino. We love each other. It's a great church. But does really, outside of my little pond, does anybody know my name? Do I care? Sometimes. Sometimes. Extraordinary. What does God think about when he thinks of extraordinary? Does he think of extraordinary the same way we do? Does he think about wow people like we do? See, in that same book of Hebrews... It says, but then there were others. Then there were others. And today, I want to talk to you about the others. The others. Let me read to you about the others. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these people, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Wait, you mean to say that there are some people that on this earth don't appear to be extraordinary, but God says they really are? There are people that, that aren't the wow people, 
But in God's mind, they really are the wow people? You mean to say that there are people that don't have any names? It's just, they just call them the others. They don't have names. They don't have Gideon and Barak and Samson and Moses and Enoch and, and, and Abraham and, and Abel and all that. They don't have, those guys got names. And we know the people that have names, right? I mean, we know them. The name people, we know that. But what about the others that don't have any names? God said the world was not worthy of them. You see, God thinks of, of extraordinary different than we think of extraordinary. And we'll even try to pursue extraordinary on an earthly level. And we, we want a name. We want a title. We want a, you know, a, a ministry banner that everybody recognizes. We want that. We strive for it. And, and, and we sometimes get confused and we feel maybe that we're not successful if we don't have that. And God says, I don't, I don't look at that. That's not what I look at. Because God doesn't see extraordinary the way we see extraordinary. God doesn't really care about kingdom superstars. Today I want to talk to you about the others. Because extraordinary mission is accomplished by extraordinary people. And I want to tell you this morning that you are those extraordinary people. You are those. I, I don't know all your names. You didn't know my name until I stepped up here. The others. I want to give you four things about these others. First of all, extraordinary people are people full of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, Jesus says, was the greatest prophet that ever lived. But then the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. How many have the Lord Jesus Christ living in their life this morning? You're greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said that, not me. Because you have him inside of you. An extraordinary person has the Holy Spirit of God living inside their life. And when the Spirit of God lives in you, that makes you extraordinary. The creator of the ends of the earth lives in you? That's right. By virtue of Jesus' death and resurrection. And by your confession of your sin, Jesus came into your life. He restored you. He, he transformed you. And you're extraordinary. Because you've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of your life. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13 to 14. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they, is, they are the important people. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. They're the wow people. They got names. But I find it fascinating in God's word. Suddenly it's just the Pharisees and Sadducees and the disciples get names now. But in that context, everybody knew the Sadducees and Pharisees. They had names. But it says, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not see, or since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. See, here's what's going on here. The Sadducees and Pharisees, they're the name people. They're the wow people. They're the extraordinary people. And they're confused. Because they're watching ordinary people do things that they can't do. They're watching ordinary people say, get up and walk, and they can't do that. And they're thinking, wait a minute, hold on. We're the extraordinary ones. 
How come the ordinary people are doing things that we extraordinary people are supposed to do? Because they're not, in God's eyes, really the extraordinary ones. The ones they think are ordinary are the ones God thinks are extraordinary because the Spirit of God is in their life. And they're confused. They're saying, man, this is weird. I don't get it. We're the leaders of the kingdom. We're the leaders of of Israel. We're the leaders. We have the law. But we don't do what they do. Sadly, instead of joining them, they decided to try to squelch them, which failed miserably. And you know the gospel story. Extraordinary. These were fishermen with no degrees. The Sadducees and Pharisees had all the degrees. They had all the money. They had all the power. They had all the authority. The disciples were poor. They had very little money. They had no degrees. They were unschooled. They didn't have any letters by their name. How many got letters by your name? I don't have any letters by my name. But God says, no, 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 no. You're the extraordinary one. Because wherever the Holy Spirit of God resides, that's extraordinary. You see, we, this, this whole separation is this, this, this idea of, of the worldview that we struggle with. This, diff, this fight between extraordinary and ordinary. I learned this just recently, and it just really fascinated me, that there's two worldviews, a Genesis 1 worldview and a Genesis 3 worldview. The Genesis 3 worldview is the worldview of not enough. Not enough. Oh, I I could do that if I had more, if I had more money, if I had more talent, if I had more education, if I prayed more, if I did this more, oh, then I could be. And today we live in a culture of not enough. Not enough money, not enough gas, not enough peace, not enough time. How many of you have said, I don't have time? I don't have enough time. Not enough. We live in this concept of not enough. And you know where that comes from? That comes from Genesis 3. And we all fight with that, and it leaves us discontent because Eve was living in a enough worldview in Genesis 1 and 2, and Satan came in and began to tempt her with this idea of not enough. He said to Eve, Eve, look at, what's got, look at what God's got that you don't have. He said, eat of all these trees in the garden, but don't eat of that one. Why do you think he's doing that? Why do you think, you know, you'd be, you'd be a lot better if you had what he had. He's got what you don't have, and what you don't have is enough. And she bought the lie that she didn't have enough, even though she could have everything in the garden. And she bought it. She said, yeah, you're right. I don't have enough. I better go get mine before he takes it away. And as soon as she did, she realized. Church, I want to tell you this morning, this first point, you are enough. I want you to say it. I'm enough. Say it. I'm enough. Because the Holy Spirit of God, come on, because the Holy Spirit of God fills my life. Say it again. I am enough because the Holy Spirit of God fills my life. I heard your, your, your vocalists, which were fantastic, by the way, say, we need revival in Las Vegas. Is God not enough to do that? He's enough to do that through extraordinary people who just may not have names yet. 
Or they may not have names at all. Because God doesn't work through the wild people. God works through the faithful people who are filled with the Spirit of God. He's going to do that through you as you hunger for his heart for mission. Because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. Number two, extraordinary people or extraordinary doesn't mean immediate results. Now, before you get all excited, say, yeah, we're the others. Now we got a new time. Make the t-shirts. Others. That's me. I'm the other. I don't need a name, but we get excited, and now we want to see things go fast. God, do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Okay, God, come on now. We're ready. We prayed through. We gave our missions pledges. We're ready to go. And God says, just hold on now. Remember what, what Hebrews 11 said? All these people that were the others, they didn't see the promise. Because you see, we don't expect immediate results. The results are not up to you. The results are up to God. We're just called to be faithful. Here's some scriptures. Acts chapter 24, or excuse me, 24, 27. I, 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 call, this, I call this reading between the verses. It's powerful to me. Verse 26 says, and Paul did such and such. Then the next verse says, and two years later, two years pass in one verse. What was Paul doing during that time? Being faithful. That's what he was doing. Teaching the word, doing what he was called to do. There's, there's nothing going on in there. There's not like this big fancy, wow, time going on in Paul's life. But two years passed in one verse. When Joseph was, or when David was an anointed king, he ran for 16 years. 16 years passed. Ditching in caves, acting like a madman, drooling all over his face, living with the Philistines for a while. When Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, it took him, he was about 17, when he finally entered Pharaoh's uh, 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 leadership, he was 30. Some years passed. You see, God is not, God, it's not immediate results, but God knows how to bring the results in his timing. Now, these guys, they saw the thing happen. David did become king. Joseph did see the, 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 the vision come true. He saw that. In Hebrews 11, it says they didn't see the promises happen, but they remained faithful. Folks of Trinity, that's your mandate. Be faithful. Be faithful. Show up. Make out your pledge card. Support the ministry. It doesn't matter if you have names or not, because we're the others. And what others do is others keep going even when they don't see immediate results. Others don't get discouraged when it doesn't happen yesterday. Others keep praying because they know to pound the hall of heaven that God said, if you're persistent, I will answer. That's what the others do. In Hebrews it said they were slain, they were torn in two, they were thrown in prison. All kinds of nasty things happened to those people. But they kept going, and they kept going, and they kept going. And it says the world was not worthy of them. God said the world isn't even good enough for those people. Those are my people right there. They're the others. Remember a story about a man named Stan Stewart. Stan was a police officer for many, many years, like 20, 20 years or so, and he felt a calling of God to become a missionary. Two small children and a wife after much prayer, after much just like, God, are you sure? They set off for Turkey in a city where it was 100% Muslim. 
said, God, why would you send me here? I mean, what am I going to do? And he didn't see any converts. People didn't like suddenly start getting saved. And there was not this Muslim revival that happened in that town. But he began to love them and love them and love them and love them and befriend them. And they befriended him back because he didn't come in there to, to, to let them know how, how much lesser they were and how, how wrong they were. He just came to love them with the love of the Lord. And soon the, the Muslim people that he had befriended started feeling bad for him, knowing that he was a Christian. They said, well, it's, it's kind of sad that we get to go to the mosque every day to pray. You don't have any place to go to pray to your God. Why don't you come? And you can come with us inside the mosque, and you can pray to your God with us because we love you and you're our friend. And the bond between this Christian missionary family and the Muslim people in Turkey was so, so strong and so tight. And then right, right, just like out of the blue, Stan gets sick. And he's got cancer. And they said, God, we know this isn't right. You sent us to Turkey, and we're going to see revival, and things are going to happen, and things are going to change, and it's going to be great. But he didn't get well. He got worse. And they prayed again, and he didn't get well, and he got worse, and he prayed again. And then, God, where's the miracle? When is it going to happen? We know that if you heal me, God, all these Muslim people are going to come to Jesus. We need the miracle. And in prayer, God said, no, Stan, I'm not going to heal you. I want to show the Muslim people how a Christian dies. I want them to see that when a Christian dies, they die in peace. They die confident in the salvation they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want them to see without fear how one of mine dies and Stan died. Now his wife and his two children, this has been years ago, the children are growing up now and they're still there and they are starting to see results. People are getting saved. But sometimes God doesn't do things the way we think he should. So the others don't expect immediate results. The others remain faithful and let God be God. Number three, extraordinary people don't quit no matter what the cost. Extraordinary people just don't quit. Got any of those people here today? How many are just stubborn today? You're just stubborn. Go ahead, bring it on. I'm not quitting. I'm just not quitting. Does it get hard? Oh yeah, it gets hard. Okay, it's hard. What do you want me to do, quit? Um, no, I'm not quitting. That's not what I do. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41, a great passage. You know the passage where, the, where the, Jesus and the disciples are in the boat. They're going across the water, and the storm comes, and Jesus is asleep in the boat when all the other disciples are freaking out. They're going, oh, Lord, we're going to die. We're going to die. Jesus gets up, and he says, what's wrong with you little people of little faith? Be quiet, storm. Well, here's what we miss in, that, in those verses. It says, when Jesus got into the boat and set out across the lake, and there were other boats with them. That's the others. See, all we get is the big boat. All we get is the big boat. In the big boat, that's where Jesus was. Now, he's, he can't be in many boats at the same time. He's in flesh, so he's Jesus. He's in the boat, and we hear all about the big boat. Oh, Jesus. And in the big boat, they're freaking out. 
They're, they're just losing their mind. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. What do you think was going on in the other boats? In the other boats, they didn't have Jesus in their boat. In the other boats, they're like, oh, what are we going to do? If they got Jesus in their boat and we're in this mess and we don't have Jesus in our boat, what's going to happen to us? What? And what they're doing is they're just rowing. Come on. We're, their boat ain't sunk yet. Our boat hasn't sunk yet. We're just going to keep rowing. You, you don't say it again. You don't give up because that's what others do. The others don't quit. They never do. Because even though they were stoned, even though they were slain, even though they were torn in two, even though they had their stuff taken from them, they said, no, we're waiting for a better resurrection. We're not quitting. And those other boats said, if Jesus is in that boat, we're good with that, and we're following him, and we're just going to keep rowing. If his boat sinks, then maybe we're in trouble. But as long as it's his boat's floating, we're going to keep rowing. That's what we're going to do. Because that's what others do. We don't know the names of those people in those other boats. We know the names of the people in the big boat. We know that. All we know is that there were other boats, and there were people in them, and we don't know their names. The others. The others keep rowing when things get crazy. They don't quit. Isaiah 40, 31, faint not. Philippians 3, 13, press on. Hebrews 10, 36, persevere. Luke 18, 1, don't give up. Revelation 2, 3, don't grow weary. And on and on and on and on. The others don't quit, amen? The others are filled with the Spirit. The others know that immediate results may not happen, but they're going to be faithful. And the others don't quit no matter what. They keep rowing. Finally, extraordinary people want the heart of God above all else. Extraordinary people want the heart of God above all else. There's another lady in Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 34. She doesn't have a name. The Bible doesn't tell us what her name is. She's the woman that was bleeding. You know the story of this woman. She's bleeding for 12 years. And the story goes that Jesus was surrounded by so many people walking through the town. It said that the disciples feared that they would be crushed. That's a crowd. They were packed, pressed against each other, forced against each other, that they were afraid if anything happens, there's going to be a stampede. We're going to die because we might get crushed. It's so packed. People everywhere. And in the midst of that, this lady finds her way, some miraculous way how, to get to Jesus and just to touch the hem of his garment. And in that moment, Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples are going, Jesus, are you kidding me right now? Are you totally kidding me? Everybody's touching you. Everybody right now is touching you. You're being touched by as many people as could possibly touch you. And you ask, who touched you? Because you see, she touched him different. It was the heart of the touch that Jesus felt. Everybody else is Jesus, Jesus, bum, 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 Jesus, Jesus, okay, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh. And the lady goes, he's my only hope. If I don't have Jesus, I got nothing. That's a different touch. That's a different touch. This woman had the heart of her touch. And Jesus responded because she touched his heart with her touch. In 2 Samuel, David has his mighty men. 
And he's standing looking over the valley of Bethlehem, the same valley that he used to shepherd in when he was a boy, when he would sit in those fields and, and, and let his sheep graze. And as they were grazing, he would write songs and he'd bring them to the well. And in this particular time, the Philistines have control of that area. And David's up above looking down and there's a garrison of Philistines around the well where he used to water his sheep. And under his breath, King David says, I'd, I'd really like a drink out of that well. I would really like. Now, it's not as if he's thirsty. What he's doing is he's reminiscing. He's looking down at that well thinking, thinking I remember the day. It ain't like it was today. Back in those days, it was peaceful. I had my sheep and I'd write songs and I'd practice my slingshot. And it was beautiful. Now, the, the Philistines, they got my well. And he's up there thinking, I'd sure like a drink out of that well. And there were three guys, and we don't know their names. I mean, we know the names of the mighty man, but in this case, we don't know. And one said to the other, because they were close enough to hear him. Now, you got to be close to the king to hear him say stuff under his breath. And he said, did you, did you hear what I heard? Did you just, I think, did, did, yeah, I think I heard it. Did you hear it? Yeah, I did. I heard it. The king wants a drink from that well. Did he command you to do it? No. No, he didn't, he didn't ask us to do it, but he wants one. What do you think? I think we can do this. So they did. And three mighty men with three swords went down and they fought through the Philistines and they got a cup of water from that well. And then three guys with only two swords, because one guy's now got to carry the water and not spill it. <laughs> they fight their way back up and they go, David, we just want you to know we love you. We want you to know we heard the desire of your heart. And church, you got to be close to Jesus to hear the desire of his heart. And you sang it this morning, who shall I send and who shall go for us? And Isaiah heard that because he was close to the Lord and said, I'm in, I'll go. Because you see, the others want the heart of God above all else. Like the woman touched Jesus' heart with her touch. And the three mighty men, they heard the heart of the king. They said, we're going to get the king what the king wants. And Trinity people, the king wants people saved. That's what the king wants. The king of kings wants to see people come to his kingdom. He died for them. He spilt his blood for them. And the king is thinking, man, I'd really love to see those people in Las Vegas get saved. And that ought, to arouse, that ought to arouse us. It ought to raise us up. So we go, did you hear what the king said? Did you? I, I think I heard. Let's do this. The king wants some people saved. You in? I'm in. The heart of God. I learned about this heart of God early on. And actually, it was within the first four months of my senior pastor ministry. I was only 32 years old. I'd been youth pastor at that church for eight years. And now I've been senior pastor for, I don't know, 29 years. So I've been at one church for 37 years. And people say, well, how come you did that? How does that work? I said, well, God never said leave. So I didn't leave. Pretty simple. <laughs> so I was four months in and the secretary came into my office one day and I'm sitting in the big chair now. And she brought, she brought a paper that looked a lot like this. And there's two columns on this, if you can't see it. One says cash and one says expenses. And in the cash column, there's just one number. 
Maybe this looks like some of your bank books in your house. I don't know. And the other side, there's a lot of expenses, a whole lot of them. And it was about 600 bucks in our cash account. And she put it on my desk. And I said, what's this? She goes, you're the pastor now. She goes, you got to make a decision. So we got 600 bucks and we got all these expenses. How are we going to do it? And I'm senior pastor now. I got this. Come on. They didn't vote me in here for nothing. God called me. I got this. So I looked at that list and said, well, we got to have church, so PG&E staying on. I'm, I'm not working for free, so I'm not cutting my salary. We can put a bucket where the roof's leaking a little bit. But I got to the missionaries. We weren't supporting them very much at that time, maybe we had maybe 30, 40 missionaries, but we, we supported them like for $5 a month, $10 a month, real small. And I thought, are they, seriously, are they really going to miss that? I mean, what missionary is going to miss five bucks a month? I mean, if some, really? So I, I said, we're going to not pay our missionaries this month. And I made a few other edits and said, awesome pastor of the year right here. You're the man, Check. That Sunday morning, we had service, normal. Come Monday when, say, okay, you know, good service yesterday. What were the offerings like? Worst offering ever. Like, what? Wow, didn't expect that. I mean, we're already, you know, not doing great. Little 60 people maybe in the church. We're already not doing that great. What? Well, we'll make it up next week. I'm sure everybody just, you know, postponed their tithe for some reason. You know, sometimes people do that. You know, miss this week, double up next week. It had to be one of those things. Second Sunday, worse than the first one. Terrible offering. What are we going to do? Let's bull through. What are we going to do? Let's quit? No, we're not quitting. Third Sunday, worse than the first two. Three offerings in a row, the worst. Like, like almost nothing. Like the faucet just got turned off. And it took me three weeks to be God's man of faith and power to actually start to pray about this thing. And so, uh, God, we need some help. I made a, it, what do we do? I don't know what to do. God, I began to pray, I began to pray and pray. God, we need an answer. And I don't know how God talks to you. God talks to me in very, very short sentences, sometimes two and three words. But when he speaks, it's clear. And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And I heard from the Holy Spirit so clearly, clearly and he said, what'd you expect? I went, what? What do you mean what I expect? He's confused. He goes, what'd you expect? You cut my heart. You cut my heart. When you cut the missions, you cut my heart. He said, how do you expect me to pour financial blessing into your life and into your church when the very thing that means the most to me you thought was expendable. When you cut missions, you cut my heart. And it broke me. And I tell this same story every single year and have told it since 1994. And it drives our missions giving because we don't ever want to be people who do not take the heart of God seriously. And that Saturday, we had a board meeting. I sat down with the board, and the board looked at the financial, and they went, what is going on? We, like, we hired the wrong guy. 
Four months in and you're already, this economic disaster. I told the board, I said, this is what happened. I made a decision. I cut the mission support. And God said that was wrong, that I cut his heart. So I said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the missions out of the general fund. We were just giving out the general fund at that point. We're gonna take it out of there and we're gonna have a missions conference just like you're doing now. We're gonna have a missions conference and we're gonna raise pledges and we're gonna raise the missionary and what we're gonna do is we're gonna triple what we've been giving. They look like, are you serious? So hey, this is God's, right? If it's God's and his heart is in this thing, then he's gonna provide. And we did, and we had our first missions conference. All of, like I said, about 60 people. And a guest came in, and he preached, and it was great. And, and we needed $1,800 in pledges to triple what we've been giving. And $1,800 came in. Yeah. And every year since then, and I'm not going to tell you this because it's, I hate it when people do this because it sounds so, so braggadocious. But I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm saying it because when you have God's heart in mind, God will make it happen. And over the years, we just kept increasing it. We're going to do more this year. We're going to do more this year. We're going to do more this year. And we had the idea, not of a monetary amount, but of 100% participation. That we figured that if God would move in unity, could move through the unity of the people, then anything could happen. If they were in one accord in Acts 2, and that happened, what could happen if we got in one accord with missions? In the last few years, we've been giving over $25,000 a month. And the church isn't that much bigger from 1800 to that. Why? Because it's God's heart and it drives our church economy. Church, when you have his heart in mind, God will do extraordinary things because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're not concerned about immediate results. You're not gonna quit no matter what and you're gonna pursue his heart. That's what you're gonna do. Say, but pastor, but pastor, nobody knows my name. What can I do? What, what, how, how will my pledge make a difference? How will my giving make a difference? How will my time make a difference? I'm nobody. I'm just one of the others. I'm just one of those people that doesn't have any names. I want to tell you this. You got a name. You got a name. I don't know what you think, but you got a name. Al Cotton, you got a name. I played golf with him yesterday. I know he's got a name. Lois Tate, you got a name. Lisa Bryant, you got a name. Donna DeCarolis, you got a name. Mindy Zesblum, you got a name. Paul Wincoop, you got a name. You folks got names. Jesus knows those names. He's not concerned about the earth and the world's big name. He knows your name. And you've got one. And he's given it to you. The others do have names. When you came in this morning, you got a white stone. Why don't you pull out that white stone? Hope nobody thought it was candy and took a bite. <laughs> I know a really, really good ministry clinic nearby that does dental work. If... Because you see, one day, Revelation chapter 2 says this, one day, those who overcome, Jesus Christ says, he's going to give you a name written on a white stone. 
It's white because in that in first century, when you were accused of a crime and you went through the trial process, the innocent or guilty verdict was not like we do when the, they read a report. They either pull out a white stone or a black stone. A black stone means guilty. A white stone means not guilty. You're going to get a white stone because you're not guilty. Jesus Christ has, has, has covered you. He's shed his blood for you. You are now free. You are pardoned. You are righteous. That's why you get a white stone. And that's yours. He's going to give you one, and on that stone is going to be a name, a name that says in Revelation 2 that only the Father and you know that name. What that is, that's a pet name. I got names for my wife. You don't get to know those names. I'm not telling you because they're not for you. That's for she and I. And if we told you what they were, you'd go, man, you guys are dorks. But that's okay because that's our names. You guys have names too. Because when I get to heaven, or when Pastor Randy gets to heaven, and Jesus goes, Randy, and like 14 million people go, yes, Lord. Not very intimate. But when he calls the name written on that stone, you know he's calling your name. That our Lord Jesus has a name for each one of you. Folks, we might be the others, but we got names. And it doesn't matter that our name isn't known on this earth. It matters that our name is the name that Jesus knows. And he knows your name. My question is, is what about, what about the other name? That'll stay right there. That Jesus doesn't know yet. The homeless person in Las Vegas. What about the other name of the person where you YWAMers are going to go? Because there's some names that don't get a stone yet. And don't you want to be responsible for those people having names? What about those that need to come to the City Impact Clinic? I knew that was going to happen. What about those people? Don't they get names? They get names when the Lord Jesus saves them. And then they get a white stone. church, the others are, are beautiful. The others, Jesus said, the world is not worthy of them. And those others in Hebrews, this is crazy to me. They still have not received the full promise. Say, what? Because it says, only with us will they receive the fullness of the promise. They're waiting for us. They're waiting for us. And when we gather together one day, when the numbers of the kingdom of heaven are complete, we're going to have some serious party because we'll all be together and then finally the others will have received the fullness of the promise. And we're going to enjoy that too. We might be the others. We might not have a name, but I'll tell you what, God knows your name and God knows how to use you. You're filled with the Spirit. You don't expect immediate results. You're not going to quit. You're going to chase God's heart because he's got a name for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would help us this morning not to chase after what the world offers, not to chase after a name except for the name of Jesus. Let that be the only name we chase. God, that we want you. We want you, and we want to do whatever you ask us to do. And this morning, as we make our final pledges, we might not feel it, it's very much. Oh Lord, 
Doesn't have to be a lot when it's in the hand of the infinite God. We just need to be faithful. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you move across this place and we would respond like the others would respond. We give you praise. Pastor Randy.